Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Houston and Kansas, number one, number two, both lose. We'll talk with John Fanta from Fox College Basketball Coverage uh, coming up in 20 minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. One of these two are going to the Super Bowl, Brock Purdy or Jalen Hurts. And we know, of course, Mr. Irrelevant and Brock Purdy. Jalen Hurts, a second-round pick. But two teams that have built around a formula, a system, with a run game and solid defense. And they've inserted talent, of course, around Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy. It was going to be Trey Lance, then Jimmy G, now Purdy. And all of that's paying off right now for both. And now we get the showdown in Philly. Where do you fall on describing Jalen Hurts as an Alabama quarterback or an Oklahoma quarterback? Is it where you start or where you finish? I always go with where you finished. Um, I, I do too. I, there there yeah. was a, a tweet over the weekend that got a lot of you know entertaining replies about saying this is the first Alabama quarterback to win something and how since uh, Richard Todd back something. I'm thinking what? Uh, no, yeah, I'm like, he's not. Is, a, uh, I don't. I don't think is Ohio of him, State claiming Burrow. I, yeah, I don't think of him as Alabama quarterback. It's where you finished, I felt like. I feel more Oklahoma quarterback. So we're seeing a battle of Big 12 quarterbacks in Brock Purdy and Jalen Hurts, right? If we're going to go with Jalen Hurts as an Alabama guy, I mean, he got benched uh, at Alabama for Tua Tungavailoa. So he's an Oklahoma guy. Um, second round versus seventh round with these two quarterbacks. I think both are incredible stories for two very different reasons. Brock Purdy, obviously – because he's Mr. Irrelevant, and they've won. I, I'm counting it as 8-0, because he played 56 of 60 minutes in one game. The streak is seven straight starts that he's won, but I really think he's 8-0 as a starting quarterback for the 49ers. Terrific story with him and what he's been able to do. And then Jalen Hurts, all of the raised expectations this offseason – because the moves they made, the A.J. Brown trade, because the roster around him and how everything was perfectly set up, because of his great offensive line, because the complimentary run game, expectations were through the roof on Jalen Hurts, and he has exceeded those. And he showed again on Saturday night, Hutton, that when he's even close to 100%, he is really, really good, and that Eagles offense hums. And how about this? Over the last 10 seasons, there's been only one matchup of Power 5 quarterbacks in which both of them threw for over 250 yards, three touchdowns or more, three or more touchdowns, also rushing for 50 or more yards and a touchdown in the same game. That was on November 9th, 2019, Jalen Hurts for Oklahoma against Brock Purdy of Iowa State. Now we get the showdown. And Purdy can become the first rookie quarterback to lead his team to a Super Bowl. There has also never been a third-string quarterback from August of the, the same season that has started and then won the game in the Super Bowl for a team. There have been third-string quarterbacks for a Super Bowl-winning team that have played throughout the course of a season, but never one that's ended up starting and then winning. And they have the talent to do it. McCaffrey, Debo, 
Samuel, Ayuk, George Kittle, and we got to talk about that catch. George Kittle, when the game's tied 9-9 in the third quarter, and the throw and catch that he makes over the, the, yeah. the seam there. 30-yard play. Uh, amazing. And that's where the momentum really picked up for a game where the offense wasn't doing all that much. But Chad, the defense, the defense has the depth that I believe can hang with Philly. Yeah, this is going to be um, a bloodbath type game. I mean, the physicality on both sides with 49ers and Eagles, I, I think this is going to be terrific. Now, if it gets to be a high-scoring affair where the other team's asked to match, I advantage think it's big-time advantage Philly Yeah, when it comes to that. But because of just the way they're structured, that 49ers offense, I mean, sorry, the 49ers defense, they will hit you. That last play is a great example <laughs> they have no time to set up whatever they're trying to do because Turpin gets rocked the moment he touches the football. Um, the 49ers, you know, even in a close game, they had that crucial turnover on the kickoff, mm-hmm. right? Or kickoff or punt. I think it was a kickoff return where they can't do that against the Eagles. I mean, I'm watching that game and thinking this is a team that has to be pretty mistake free. Even with how good they are, just the way they play they have been. with Brock Purdy as quarterback, you can't have the special teams turnover. Now, luckily for them, that special teams turnover, I believe, led to a Marv field goal and not a touchdown. But you can't have that against Philly. And that's where Brock Purdy's really excelled, is not turning the ball over. Yeah. And he didn't do it yesterday. Right. And uh, they've, they're the first team in NFL history to win 12 straight games and having no more than one turnover in any one game. They have 12 wins during the stretch, only six turnovers total. And throughout this winning streak, they've had no more than one in a single game. That's allowing their defense to get the ball back and get extra possessions. That's the thing about Purdy. They, they're playing within the structure of their offense. I mean, yesterday they're calling a pass on third and two for him. And it's like a seven-yard completion over the middle to Kittle in traffic. And Shanahan's able to just continue to run his offense. That's the difference between the backup quarterback there and backups that you see around the league. And then I'm with you on the shootout. It can't be a shootout-like atmosphere, performance, vibe to what's going to go down in in Philadelphia. This has got to be... It doesn't have to be exactly the way Dallas and San Fran went, but it's got to be way more reserved than allowing Philly to break out to these, these early leads. Yeah, and one thing Brock Purdy's done that's really smart is um, separate of the play that should have been a touchdown to Ayuk, where he rolls out of pressure, getting close to the sideline, and rockets it to the back of the end zone in the Seahawks game yeah. that was dropped in the back. He did that. He does that a number of times where he kind of gets himself in trouble, where I think he does bail out a little too quickly of the pocket, and he does these little loop-de-loos and goes left or right and starts running, fading towards the sideline. He doesn't throw it in harm's way. He is quick to throw that ball out of bounds when he doesn't have something there. I think that's smart in how he's been able to avoid the the big he's been able to avoid the big disastrous play because of that. Brock Purdy is a guy who knows how good his roster is around him and he is still yet he's been good. He is still yet to have to go win a game. Where well, it's just outright, you well, have to go against, make these big he plays. He did it against Vegas, but Vegas is, uh, they were down 10, and he rallied them back. But Vegas is not the playoff caliber that yeah. he's, he's faced in recent weeks. Um, right now, Chad, the Chiefs are a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Cincinnati in the AFC Championship game. How? I can't explain that. 
with Mahomes, we know the MRI shows a high ankle sprain. He says he's playing, but that's going to be a massive storyline throughout the week. Uh, Burrow is not hurt. That's the other thing we should factor in. History is not with the Chiefs either. Three straight wins. And trust me when I say, even when healthy, the Chiefs haven't matched up well against Cincinnati, and they know it. Right? Like the, the matchup and the, the trump card goes to Cincinnati here with the game, with the game plan... Uh, defensively, what Cincinnati has done against the the Kansas City offense, and you can't even say that KC's the 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 team with the hot streak going into this. That's also Cincinnati. So I I'm riding with the Bengals, and I to I don't know how they open up as an underdog given the circumstances of the two quarterbacks. I don't get it either. In Kansas City, I was looking at uh, odds to win the Super Bowl. They still have the best odds to win it all. Uh, going into this week, and I think that uh, the Cincinnati was fourth in odds to, to win well, the last Super week, Bowl. Last week, I got them that's, at plus 500. That's why I love betting on Cincinnati to, to win it all. Um, Patrick Mahomes, let, let's first state this. Hosting five straight conference championship games is phenomenal. That's an incredible stretch that we've witnessed from Patrick Mahomes. If they lose on Sunday, though, they're two and three. In those conference mm-hmm. championship games, all home games. That's not great. That's not great when you get there and you're hosting to have a losing record over those five games. Now, they haven't lost that game yet, but I'm watching Patrick Mahomes hobble around in that second half knowing how ankle injuries work and they typically get worse a week later or at least the week of. There's not going to be a lot of physical preparation for this game and Cincinnati's defensive plan against Buffalo, if they can do something similar against Kansas City and Hutton, I see that line you just threw out there. I have no clue how Kansas City is favored in this game. This almost comes down to the what does Vegas know other than what they're just expecting the betting public to do based on the fact Kansas City's at home in the AFC Championship game. But watching Cincinnati and watching Patrick Mahomes on one leg and knowing Cincinnati's won the last three between these two teams and won a year ago in the AFC Championship and, and game in Kansas against City? Mahomes. Give me the Bengals. 3-0 against Mahomes. Burrow's the only quarterback to face Mahomes multiple times and not lose. The other one's Brady. Brady is 3-3 three and three against him. No one else has a winning record. Give me the Bengals. Um, yeah, yeah, same here to, to open. How was the Jamar Chase touchdown catch not ruled a touchdown? And I, we'll get to the Josh Allen as well. But the that's a that is a touchdown. The, so, the, the, the reason why you have instant replay is to take away the egregious error, and we have turned it into this frame by frame. Uh, Zapruder film. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but even frame by frame, I'm watching that going. Yeah, that's a touchdown. So I was actually driving back. Uh, and listening to the Bills radio network when this happened, went back and watched it. But I was listening to this play live and hearing their description of it. Granted, Bills radio network, mm-hmm. I mean, they showed the replay and you can hear the reaction from the Highmark Stadium crowd. And they immediately said, hold on a second. Oh, no, he's not controlling the ball through the catch. It's bobbling a little bit. And this is going to be really close. Now, they didn't say, you know, it wasn't an immediate, oh, this is coming back. It's not going to be a catch. Right. They were saying this can be a very close call. Again, that is from the Buffalo Bills radio network that's clearly slanted towards the Buffalo Bills angle. I turn over to the Cincinnati Bengals broadcast in okay. this moment and listen to them and Hutton, they're saying what you're saying. This is this is a catch. 
It's gonna it's gonna stand. Yeah. It's a catch. There's a little bit of juggling, but it's a catch. So he it has was, control of it. It was fast. I, I I lay all that out there to to say that this is kind of what we've done with is it a catch? Is it not a catch? Granted, this is through the lens of fans. Sure. One for the Bills, one for the for Cincinnati saying that. But I think even rational-minded people can watch a play now and not have any clue what happened because they've been so confused by inconsistent rulings on what is a catch and what is not by the NFL for too long. And that's a big part of the problem. Now, when I go back and watch it at home, I thought, by the spirit of the game of football, that is a catch and a touchdown. Okay? And it didn't come let's, back to let's, bite them. Let's so go back and look at it. Instead of just letter-by-letter yes. letter rule, like that's a catch. When we grow up, that's a catch. It was a catch uh, two years ago. It was a catch two weeks ago. But now we've confused ourselves enough to think, oh, maybe maybe that's not a catch. It's a catch. And a great play by Matt Milano trying to get the ball out. I just felt like Chase had control of that as both feet touched and he goes to the ground uh, for the touchdown. Meanwhile, um, I think it's more... It's more confusing to me on what is a fumble now. It's a lot like it's not nearly to the extent of roughing the passer by any means. But at least have some consistency when the play is as similar as what we saw from Joshua Dobbs in Jacksonville. I, I don't look, I, I tweeted this out and it's I, the it was, same play. It was probably 50 50. I got, you know, I said, I, I'm just telling you, I've seen this with quarterbacks of greater renown than Josh Dobbs, and nine times out of ten, probably ten out of ten, it's called an incomplete pass. If that ball ends up moving forward at all, if Off it's close yeah. and their arm's coming back and it gets hit forward and the ball goes forward, they are going to give the benefit of the doubt to the quarterback, specifically star quarterbacks in the NFL, and it's going to be ruled an incomplete pass. I thought that when I saw the Dobbs play, and I had a lot of people come back and say, oh, no, clear fumble. They, they didn't look at it that long because it was a clear fumble thing. Okay. Maybe I'm crazy, but I've seen that called incomplete time and time again. And then the Josh Allen plays happen, and I say immediately, let's see how the NFL rules this upon review. When they actually reviewed it, they didn't just take that's a split-second the... look and announce, oh, that's a fumble and it's a touchdown the other way, like they did the Titans against the Jags. This shows you that the perception of Josh Dobbs and Josh Allen are very, very different when it comes to review and when it comes to a play like that. Those were the same plays. And they were both I've watched fumbles. both of them a lot, and both they're both of the same play. I mean, you could argue either way. I'm not arguing fumble. I'm telling you, that's usually called incomplete. So if it's an incomplete pass for Josh Allen, it's incomplete for Josh Dobbs. If it's a fumble for Josh Dobbs, it's a fumble for Josh Allen. I'm just going with when I see the quarterback, if there's any doubt, any doubt about when the ball is moving forward after a hit, it usually goes to, it's like a tie goes to the runner. In that instance, the tie goes to incomplete pass, ball's moving forward, quarterback got hit, split second, they're going to not call it a fumble. That's what happened with Josh Allen, didn't with Well, with to me, Josh it's not Dobbs. the ball, it's the arm. I mean, it's the motion of the throw. Does the hit force the ball forward, or does the arm moving forward happen before the hit occurs? But it's also, it, it, with the Allen and with the Dobbs play, the hit, I think, moves the ball forward, but it's still in their hand. So, I mean, you got to get a physicist on staff or something to tell me that their hand wasn't also trying to move it forward as they're getting hit hard from behind and the ball's, ball's going forward too. It's just, 
I thought both the defense should be it, rewarded for those. I thought it was just inconsistent, right? That's, oh, that's that, the big that's problem the with it is the inconsistent yeah. ruling. No, no doubt. And, and by the way, both were playoff games. One was a regular season game, but both were playoff games. Uh, Michael on the YouTube chat says, NFL wanted the game to be more competitive. Honestly, Bengals should have blown out the Bills. Here's the thing. The Bengals did blow out the Bills. That, that's a blowout. 27 to 10 in the NFL in the divisional yeah. round on the road is an absolute blowout. So the NFL did not get what they wanted if they were trying to do that to not cause a blowout. I think what the NFL does is they see Josh Allen, one of the elite quarterbacks in the league, and mentally you defer to them. That's not a fumble when it's Josh Allen, the ball's moving forward. It is a fumble when it's Josh Dobbs, who no one's heard of. I think that's human nature. And I think that's what happens when it's a 50-50 call like that either way. And I think it happened again yesterday. Buffalo's not a young roster. We're going to see some shakeup overall as they try to keep their window open. There are key unrestricted free agents coming up. Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds, Roger Saffold, Devin Singletary, uh, their punter, uh, Sam Martin, Jordan Phillips on the interior, Shaq Lawson. They have uh, A.J. Klein at linebacker and a handful of others. I mean, next year, they've got to have a significant number two playmaker outside of Stefan Diggs, who was pissed off for greatness postgame, where he had to be asked by one of his teammates to come back into the locker room for the postgame speech or whatever that was, that was going down before bolting because he didn't want to speak to any of his teammates whatsoever because he didn't get the ball. He was shouting at Josh Allen late in the game also, and Josh Allen didn't even look up. From his tablet, he was looking at, didn't want to have a scene. One second half catch for eight yards. Only four catches and, of course, no scores for for Diggs on the afternoon. But, you know, they've they've got to make sure that they don't age out of the window of opportunity around the talent that they have and the great coaching staff that they have. Yeah, I I see what Diggs being so fired up with that, and I think that's what great wide receivers do. Um, that's that's their mentality. Yeah. I mean, especially but when I, you saw that you knew something was off, like with the yeah, whole yeah, no, dynamic not, of the. I, I don't. I don't want anyone to mistake this as me saying it's a good thing when your star receiver is just shouting at your star quarterback <laughs> late in a game or anything like <laughs> that. I just those two. I see that and it does not surprise me because Stefan Diggs is a a great player and b clearly a great competitor. And he was really mad that they were losing, and he knew they were going to lose in that moment. And that frustration was creeping out because he wanted to have a bigger impact on the game. If they were going to go down, they were going to go down in a blaze of glory that he was going to be getting the football in, right? And he wasn't. So I understand the frustration. I think Josh Allen handled it well just to not engage with him in that moment late in the game. Ignoring him. Um, And I also think everything's going to be fine between them, you know, once it dies down a little bit and they move forward with their offseason. Coming up, we'll dive back into the NFL headlines and all of the interviews that are taking place today and that did take place over the weekend. Uh, But speaking of the weekend, the Blue Bloods in college basketball, they've been struggling. We saw number one and number two go down as well. Uh, John Fanta will join us from Fox. We'll hit those headlines and preview the upcoming week of some very intriguing matchups, especially a big one in the SEC. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Sean Payton has concluded his interview with the Carolina Panthers. We will uh, dive into that coming up on Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Switch gears, though, talk some college hoops. John Fanta joins us. Fox College basketball host and reporter. John, good to see you, man. Thank you for the time. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Fun time of year on that road to March. College hoops is chaotic. Parody is rich. And it's very much so the case right now off the weekend where we see number one and number two drop. Alabama uh, and two other SEC teams, of course, in the top 25. The Big 12 still dominating the top 25, but are the top headlines coming out of the Southeastern Conference right now? Well, I would say because I think that the best team in college basketball is Alabama. Fellas, Alabama has won their seven SEC games by a combined 147 points. It is ridiculous what they have done in the Southeastern Conference, one of the strongest conferences in college basketball. Alabama has four 20 or more point wins in the SEC. They're not winning, they're dominating. They have the best freshman in college basketball in Brandon Miller, who I would say is the best all around talent in the game. As great as Zach Eady's been, at seven foot four, he is the King Kong of college hoops. He has been ruling the sport. He's been ruling the country. He's a giant. Miller is going to hear his name called extremely early on NBA draft night. And what Nate Oates has done at Alabama is nothing short of, of exceptional. For them to win all seven SEC games uh, by double digits. They're the first team since 2012-13 Florida that can say that in the SEC. That Florida team made the Elite Eight. Alabama has this combination of both freshman talent because they've got Noah Clowney as well. They've got Jaden Bradley. But beyond those freshmen, Mark Sears was a terrific transfer ad. Javon Quinterly provides a spark. If you haven't seen the Crimson Tide play a full game yet, you're missing a lot. This team has everything you want. Top NBA prospects. They are extremely well coached, and they can cut down the nets. Alabama is the best team in the country. They lead the storylines, and the SEC is fascinating because beyond Alabama, guys, there's a couple of really interesting teams. Tennessee is good enough to make a run of the Final Four. Alabama's in the top 15. And then you have the most polarizing team in America, Kentucky, because John Calipari has got to make noise as the year goes on. The pressure's on him. Well, and let's talk about John Calipari in Kentucky. Um, they're starting to pick it up. It started with that big win in Knoxville against Tennessee. Uh, do you see this, John, when you look at Kentucky right now and all of the noise around Calipari that has quieted a bit? Do you feel like this is going to be John Calipari? Is he going to retire at Kentucky? Or is there eventually going to be another stop along the way for him? Because we've seen this with coaches before where everyone kind of reaches on either side the expiration yes. date of it's time to move on and do something else. Or do you think that Calipari is going to retire a Wildcat? 
It is the million dollar question, and I'm glad you asked it. Because in my opinion, John Calipari's ego, his power, his influence in college basketball will lend itself to this not being the final chapter, right? Because there's got to be a part of the equation that is, well, he's been able to achieve success because he's at a blue blood in Kentucky, the blue blood in Lexington. And let's face it, um, because of NIL and because of the transfer portal, the equation of winning in college basketball has changed. It's not what it was. You have you can't just have the one and dunce. You've got to be able to have veteran players. Now he's realized that he's adapted, and he can offer uh, at Kentucky. Their players can make as much, if not more, than anybody else because the NIL there is very real and it's present. But there comes a time where the pressure is so great in a job that it doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, the pressure's so large that maybe it's best to, for a parting of ways to happen for both sides. All good things come to an end. And the fact is, the John Calipari era overall at Kentucky should be deemed what it is. And that is, for the most part, it's been a success. But I do wonder, guys, if he one day says, you know what? I don't need Kentucky to be at my best. I'm going to go stick it to everybody. And and do it the quote unquote old fashioned way with another program. I'll build them back up because I am the best CEO in America. And for all those people who don't think I can coach, well, I if I can't, I'll get the best staff in the country because I know everybody. So I, I think I don't think Kentucky will be his last stop. Like I, I just have this gut feeling that says I'm, I don't know if it'll be this year. I don't know if it'll be next year. But I do think he's going to end up somewhere else. Whether that comes off of not having success in March Madness, which let's make something clear. I know Kentucky's got the best recruiting class in America coming in next year. John Calipari's got to win some games in March. All right. You you flamed out last year to St. Peter's. The year before that, you didn't even make the NCAA tournament. This season, UK has to make some noise. John Fanta with us, Fox College Hoops. Are you looking forward and are you going to learn more, in your opinion, from Xavier UConn this week or Tennessee and Texas this weekend? Great question. I'm going to vote Xavier UConn. And here's why, guys. Xavier has not played the other top Big East teams on the road thus far. They haven't gone to UConn. They haven't gone to Creighton, where they're heading this weekend. They have not gone to Marquette. They haven't even played Providence. So they've beaten UConn, Creighton, and Marquette all on their home floor. But what's been the big bugaboo around the country, guys? Being able to win on the road. It's hard. And everybody's dealing with it. Well, Xavier gets tested to that this week. And they're 8-1 and one in the Big East. Sean Miller has re-injected energy. He's re-injected knowing how to close. Back into Xavier basketball. The Musketeers are, are relevant again, and they're at the top of this conference. But this week, guys, you go to UConn Wednesday night. It'll be tough at Gamble Pavilion. The other thing is, I'm curious to learn more about Connecticut, who had lost five of their last six games before beating Butler yesterday. 
which version of UConn are we going to get as the season goes on? Uh, the one that started the season 14-0 or the one that's been on a cold spell here for several weeks? So for me, there's pressure to perform on the Huskies and for Dan Hurley because we thought UConn could be argued as the best team in college basketball at one point this season. What has happened to this team? You get a move-the-needle opportunity on Wednesday. Adamo Sanogo inside going up against Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle. Donovan Klingon's been one of the best freshmen in America. But for UConn, what's their point guard play look like? Can UConn get point guard play? For Xavier, can they find toughness in hostile atmospheres? We find out the answers to those questions here on Wednesday night, beginning Wednesday for the Musketeers. And then they travel to face a Creighton team that, remember, Creighton was the the jewel of the preseason talking college hoops. People thought this could be their year. They went on a bit of a cold spell, but folks, buy back in if you haven't already to the Blue Jays being a force come March. I like the way this team's coming on. Xavier gets tested in a big, big way this week. Tennessee and Texas, I feel like I know a lot about those teams. They're both tough. They're both good defensively, but I don't know yet just how for real Xavier is. If you could go away from your home building and win, then you're proven something to all of us. Yeah, and going back to that Tennessee-Texas matchup, on the Texas side of things, I look at that basketball program as a whole and I think, man, Rick Barnes did a really good job with that program for many years because no one else has had that level of success. Shaka Smart was the hot name in coaching at VCU. And when he went to Texas, everyone thought he was going to get the Longhorns the Final Four routinely. Didn't happen. Then they bring in Chris Beard, who is a great coach, uh, did what he did at Texas Tech, and now, because of off-the-court issues, is not there. So now that Texas is going to have an opening, uh, two things, John. What do you think about the job the interim coach has done with this group, with everything surrounding Chris Beard no longer being the coach there? And just how attractive of a job is this in college basketball? Well, there's two thoughts right off the bat. Number one, Rodney Terry, a guy who Rick Barnes brought in, was a part of – Kevin Durant at Texas, among others, other top-tier recruits, deep runs in the NCAA tournament. Rodney Terry is Texas basketball. And during a time where Texas did not have an identity after Chris Beard gets into trouble away from the court, you have to have somebody bring the kids together. And for that, Rodney Terry deserves an immense amount of credit because he's kept these kids on the right track. And, And you feel for the kids more than anything. They didn't sign up for this. Um, this is not anything that you prepare for as a student athlete. And what Terry's been able to do with this group is nothing short of remarkable. And Texas is one of the best 15 teams in college basketball still, despite their head coach having one of the all-time flameouts in the history of college sports. We have never seen a coach get involved in an incident. And basically three weeks later, their career has ended for what it was known for. Okay. The second question, how good of a job is Texas? I polled 15 coaches the day that Chris Beard got fired and asked them what they thought of the Texas job. And all 15 said it's a top 10 job in college basketball. And here's the deal. It's one of the 10 best brands. They just opened up a new Moody Center. Matthew McConaughey and his and his team did a ton with that. It's an amazing building. I was inside of it in December. I couldn't believe how nice it was. That's now a great resource to sell. To me, though, you still need a CEO at Texas. You still need someone who can bring fans out to games because it's a football school. 
and it always will be. So whoever you hire, they can't just be a basketball coach. This is a character hire. This is a hire that really matters to your university community and a hire that comes at a time with the program where there's serious upside because at Texas, you could get any player you want. You've, you're playing in a world-class facility and you're playing in right now, the big 12, which is the best basketball conference in America, but you're going to the SEC. So you're going to have Kentucky and Tennessee and you name the big brands in your building. There's a lot of appeal there. So for me, there's a deli line of candidates that want this job. I think they could zone in on Bruce Pearl if Bruce wants to leave Auburn for Texas. Bruce has maxed out at Auburn. He's done everything he could do at Auburn. He got them to a Final Four. You get Auburn basketball to a Final Four, there's not much else you could do besides winning the whole thing. And let's face it, fellas, that, that that's not what – it's just not Auburn basketball typically throughout their history. Bruce brought them back. So it's a huge job, a huge opening. It's going to be intriguing to see what Rodney Terry does the rest of the way. And if a very deep tournament run could give him another shot to lead this program for the next couple of years. Don't necessarily rule that out if they go on a deep run and play for him. You know, one program that can win it all, we know, is Duke. Uh, It is still very strange for me, John, to watch Duke basketball and see John Shire on the sidelines and, and not Coach K. And I watch these teams play, and even a year ago, when he was filling in for, for Coach K some, I, I just honestly don't know what to think about the guy as a coach right now. And it, it's always going to be tough for whoever took over for Coach K, but what do you make of this Duke team? What do you make of the early returns for John Shire? Clearly, recruiting is not an issue for him based on what he's been able no. to accomplish, but what do you make of this Duke team under Shire? Well, I think any time that you rely on freshman top tier freshman to get the job done there's going to be ebbs and flows to that process and that's been the case for this duke team now they're better defensively than mike shashevsky's teams have been in recent years this duke team really plays defense shire's done a great job with them on that end of the floor i think john shire is the right fit at duke i don't think there was a better option to take over for mike shashevsky so my feeling on it is He's a relentless competitor. He was doubted at times in his high school career, overcame doubt. He's overcome adversity in his life from a a tough eye injury in the professional ranks when he was playing summer league. And and this is a guy that, that to me, is the right call. But there is such a load of pressure on him. And when your personnel is centered on a lead guard, in Jeremy Roach, who's being asked to be a lead guard and has it in him to be that alpha. But frankly, I don't know about that being the case every single game. He goes through some offensive inconsistencies. But then you're counting on Dariq Whitehead, a five-star freshman, to be the go-to guy at times, or at least that was the thought in mind. He dealt with injuries in the preseason. He hasn't exactly put it all the way together. Kyle Filipowski's been better than anyone could have imagined at Duke. The, The freshman has been superb in their front court. I like Duke's length because Filipowski, Derek Lively, I love what they do. Ryan Young, who they got from Northwestern, I love their length. Their guard play has been up and down. No matter how many stars are next to a kid's name, it's hard to fully equate what experience in a backcourt means to college basketball. And Duke lacks some in that department, 
And I think it's the one concern going into March Madness that could leave them susceptible to getting upset in the tournament. Is Louisville still the biggest surprise of the season thus far with their win-loss record? So I don't think anyone thought Louisville would be good, but they are (laughs) god-awful. Yes. I mean, and that's probably putting it lightly. Louisville should never be this bad in college basketball. Never. They're they're one of the five uh, highest spending programs in the sport. So they're a big surprise. And you're not making a change after one year with Kenny Payne. That gets, it's not going to happen. You're you're, going to, he needs to have an off season, give him the off season that he's earned by taking the job and let's see what he can do for me, guys. Seeing Kansas State ranked in the top 10 in college basketball is wild. They were picked dead last in the Big 12 preseason poll. Dead last. That is ridiculous to think about. Jerome Tang absolutely has to be your national coach of the year at this point. Keontae Johnson, who had that unfortunate collapse on the floor at Florida just over two years ago, People didn't know if he'd ever played basketball again. Here he is now at the helm for Kansas State. He's been nothing short of superb. Marquise Noel as their lead guard. They are an amazing college basketball story of guys who have either been doubted in their career, D2 guys, transfers. Jerome Tang assembled this roster from two people at his first practice to a team of grown men. And that team is a legit Big 12 title contender. And I would have never been able to predict that in the preseason. The Kansas State Wildcats, the Kansas State Wildcats, a top 10 team in the country, they were picked 10 dead last in their own league. That's shocking. John Fanta Fox has been our guest. John, thank you for the perspective, man. And uh, enjoy the week of some great tip-offs. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, There's John Fanta there. Uh, Chad, he's hitting on one of your favorite coaches there at K-State and Tang. And when we come back, uh, one of your favorite topics that just will not go away for Mel Kuyper. Mel Kuyper has already told us it's we're sitting here in January and he did it really in November. The hill he's willing to die on and wait until you hear why. He is explaining and how he's explaining that Will Levis is his top guy coming out for the NFL draft. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mel Kuyper loves Will Levis. Loves the guy. Outkick 360 rolls on. I don't know. So there are ebbs and flows with draft coverage, Chad, as we all know. Very cyclical. Hills that guys will die on, but then they'll talk themselves back into the player at the end of everything in April. 
I don't know how Mel Kuyper is going. You hear about recruiting and then de-recruitment once you get a guy on campus? Yeah. I don't know how, how Kuyper is going to spin this whenever some negative uh, breakdowns come out on, on, on Will Levis, the former Kentucky quarterback, because according to ESPN top draft analyst Mel Kuyper, he, he's not worried or concerned about any of the turnovers. Here is Kuyper dying on the hill for Will Levis. Well, I think when you look at Will, as Todd said, physically, uh, he, you can draw up an NFL quarterback. He's that guy. The size, the stature, the arm, the way he spins it, make every throw, the toughness, the ability to beat you with his legs. He is a running dual threat quarterback. <laughs> the fact that he dealt with adversity. It wasn't easy at Kentucky. It wasn't pitch and catch. He didn't have the elite offensive line this year. He had it as a junior, good line. Remember, Fortner, the center, heck of a job in Jacksonville, right? Anchor in that line. He was the center at Kentucky. Kennard had been there, it seemed like, forever. That offensive line was outstanding when he was in 2022. 2023, terrible offensive line. No Juan Dale Robinson, no Chris Rodriguez the first four games. And he was beat up. How he got on the field, I don't know. How he finished the year, I don't know. And he didn't play in the bowl game because he was beat up and he had to get ready for the NFL draft process. He was with that team. He was in those coaching meetings. He was with those quarterbacks. He was another coach. This guy is passionate about the game, loves the game. Now you talk turnovers, right? Well, we heard that about you know, other quarterbacks along the way. Once he even got into the NFL, they turn it over. You, that's something when you're tr- you got to try to make a play. You're Kentucky, okay? You're trying to make plays. You're in Tennessee, you know, down in Knoxville. You got, you're behind. You got to make plays. You, you know, what's the difference? You lose by 10, 15, 20, or lose by 40. The bottom line is you got to try to get your team down the field and get touchdowns. Listen to him. There's Mel Kiper there on ESPN. What does it matter if you lose by 10 or 40, according to Mel Kiper? You're just uh, you're a hell of a quarterback. This goes against your rule, Hutton. It's not if you lose, it's how you I, lose. I don't get this. I mean, the eye test alone tells you. And by the way, Will Levis is a good quarterback. I think he's a first-round quarterback. He's not he, he he's he's not John Elway here. You know, no. it, this is not the Trevor Lawrence draft for for Will Levis. I don't get the love for him the way that Kiper is stumping for him already in regards to his rankings. And I don't know how he drops the guy now based on that description. He sounds like he's his godfather yeah, or something. It, it is there does, a, I mean, I honestly watch that. I think, is there some sort of like his age family relationship with Will Levis? Is he best friends with Levis's dad? I, I don't know. He loves the guy. I mean, just listen to the fawning over him physically. I I mean, he's got the arm. He's got the thighs. <laughs> he's got the abs. He's got the chest. He's got the he's Go got on. the lats. Keep going. He's got the triceps. <laughs> I mean, look at him. That bicep tattoo that he flexes. Just so impressive. I mean, it, so beautiful. Yes. Everything it's, about it's Will Levis is beautiful. He's a beautiful man. <laughs> he throws a beautiful ball. And I love watching him play the game of football. And who cares if you lose by you know, 10 or 40. Doesn't matter. Dude plays at Kentucky. He acts like he's playing at Bethune-Cookman, the way Ed Reed was talking about it. Yeah. Kentucky's supposedly this great program. They were picked second in the SEC East this year. And Mel Kuyper is sitting there. I will not stand for this disrespect of the Wildcat football program that Mel Kuyper is laying out. Oh, he plays at Kentucky. What do you expect him to do? They're out there. It's like an FCS program against SEC teams every week. But he makes He's us, just out there trying to make plays. Give me a break. It makes it come, it comes across as us ripping Will Levis. It's really just the the love and the fawning that that Kuyper has for the guy. And this has gone on since the end of October. Oh, it's it's also Will Levis didn't do enough for Kentucky this no. year. It's okay to criticize Will Levis. Yes, the offensive line was worse. Yes. 
His offensive coordinator was worse. But stop making every excuse for the guy. Go back and watch that Tennessee game. Some of those throws were not just, well, he's down big, he's got to make some plays. and try. Well, he made terrible decisions in that game and other games too. Yes. That and, will and picks, come back to haunt you even more in the NFL. Now, you can point to the picks that he threw against Tennessee and say they didn't factor into the overall outcome of that game. Whatever. I mean, what was the final score? 44-6? to 44-7, to seven, I think. Or seven, something like that. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the, like the, the overall body of work, Will Levis didn't elevate the overall Kentucky program the way that that description would make it sound. And if we're already there in January, Chad, this is going to be... I mean, I, it's going to be tough to suffer through this, this love of Levis. I just, and all of the topics, I, trying I could, to tie him into C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. They're I, going to try to make it a trio. I could sit and listen to Mel Kuyper discuss him physically more often, though. That would be, that would be <laughs> fun. Like, what else do you like about his kneecaps? Yes. His skinny ankles. <laughs> I mean, look at this guy. Physically, he's exactly what you want. Not just in a quarterback, and but in a man. The, the, this is what you want to see. He's insinuating that the guy would have played in the Music City Bowl had he been healthy. Yeah, totally a warrior. Real you know, warrior. He's, just, he's, he's rehabbing from injuries. He's getting ready for the NFL draft. He doesn't need to play in the bowl game based on it. No one's playing I, in I that just, bowl game. I, here's what I think's going on. It's an awful bowl match. He's going to die on the hill because he's getting crushed by us and by people that know football and by fans. <laughs> Every time he talks about Will Levis, he's getting drug. So his so response is joke? to puff it up and go even bigger on Will. I don't think he's in on the joke. I think he likes Will Levis. I think he's just going to go over the top to tell everyone off that tells him he's crazy for loving Will Levis. So now he's amplified it. Coming up, Dan Snyder about to be paid. Biggest sell that we're going to see in pro sports at this point in the States. Bezos has been rumored. Are they about to buy the commanders, Bezos and Jay-Z? Details on that next. Plus, Trevor Lawrence no longer unbeaten on Saturdays. 